Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. You all like to worship? Just you and me, Roy, it sounds like. No one responded. Or was that Rick? You like to, you're a worshiping bunch, I think. You've discovered that when you begin to sing to the Lord, it's as if you're one of the Old Testament priests going into the Holy of Holies. Have you experienced that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Did I just open up something and I have to go teach on that now? In the, in the olden days, before Jesus came, before he came saying the kingdom of God is now here, the time has come, the encountering the presence of God in full face encounter was limited to a few people. Moses used to go into the holy place. It was called the tent of the meeting. And it said that he talked to God there face-to-face as a man talks to his friend. There was this, this temple that was built, first a tabernacle, like a tent, and then officially a temple later, where God would meet with mankind, and it was a place of worship, a place of sacrifice for sin, a place of incense being offered representing worship and prayer. And in the most inner place was a place called the Holiest of Holies. In there was an ark, that you would know if you've seen Indiana Jones because it was the ark that he was looking for. Do you all know Indiana Jones? Yeah. And that was a real plate, a real thing, that ark that had the, the stone tablets with the covenants, the Ten Commandments on them. And above it were those golden cherubim with wings that spread the entire length of the room or width of the room. And the high priest would go in on the Day of Atonement with the blood of an of a bull as sacrifice to cleanse the whole nation, the the sins of the priests, the sins of the people. But when he would go in, he would encounter the unveiled presence of God. There was a, a thick curtain, a veil, separating that really inner place from the next place out where the rest of the priests could go. And on the day that we celebrate coming soon, Good Friday and then following Resurrection Sunday, When Jesus was on the cross, bringing something to completion, maybe we'll talk about it today, but it's important maybe for what I'm talking about right now. When he was on that cross and he said, it is finished, as though the end of the world had broken into the present right then. When he said, it is finished, God said, let me just make sure they're paying attention The sky went black. There was an earthquake that shook the ground. And the veil, that curtain separating the outer court from the inner court where the priest went, was torn from top to bottom, making the statement that now anybody can enter into the full presence of God. And soon, 50 days later, was the day of Pentecost when God poured out his spirit on all the people. And they had a full experience of the presence of God by means of the Holy Spirit. That dynamic is available to us, especially when we worship just like we were doing. So if you were experiencing something that felt transcendent, maybe you heard 
um, didn't hear in your ears, but you heard in, somewhere inside of you the voice of God saying things that I, like, I love you. You're forgiven. I'm here for you. Just loving words you heard. You were in the presence of the living God. And that's, you know, where Kent at the end leading worship just kind of waited. It was because he was experiencing that kind of dynamic. And then he sort of talked about it. That's what we're trying to say. We didn't have like a meeting to say, let's do this thing. But that's what we're, we're on the same page. The presence of God is available for all people who want it. Come naked before God. Naked, fully open. Let him see everything and let him, let him let you see him and engage in a relationship. It's beautiful. Wonderful, Lord, we love your presence. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. It's our desire to be fully open to you, to encounter you, to feel you, to see you, to touch you, to hear you, to be changed by you, to be transformed by you, to be baptized in the Spirit of God this day. Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you. Let the kingdom of God be upon us. Let the ends of the ages break in upon us today. Amen. That, that was not planned, but um, hi, I'm Ron, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to open up the scriptures with us this morning. For those of you that are maybe new today, we as a family have been studying something for a few weeks now, more than a few. This would be the seventh time we've opened the scriptures to look at this theme. The theme is what I just referred to when Jesus began his ministry, he had this astounding statement that the kingdom of God has now come. And the kingdom means the rule and reign of God. It's full of meaning when you unpack that in the scriptures. There's, we haven't, we've barely scratched the surface, by the way. If you're, if you're thinking we've covered a lot, we've barely touched anything compared to what is available in the scriptures. Most Bible scholars today believe that the central message of Jesus, the New Testament, and actually the whole of the Bible is this thing called the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God. And when he comes, he comes like he did at the time of the Exodus to bring deliverance to everyone who's oppressed. He comes to take away sin like I just described on the cross. He comes when his kingdom comes in its fullness, there's such abundant provision that there is no poverty in any sense of the word. And when Jesus returns the second time and is once and for all reigning as we believe he will be and as the scriptures prophesy as the king of all kings and all nations are under his rulership at that time, there will be no more sin, no more sickness, no more poverty, no more tension. There will be peace. There'll be no more war. There'll be no racial tension because there will be peace and joy and provision. Everything will be made new. All those thoughts that I just said in 45 seconds and more that are described in the, New, in the Old Testament and the New Testament are what is meant when Jesus said, the kingdom of God is now here, the time has come, repent, believe the good news, enter in. So that's the message that we're unveiling, but we discover that there's a mystery of the kingdom, and I'm going to talk a bit about that today. Jesus 
gave many parables to talk about the secrets of the kingdom. He told his disciples, the secrets of the kingdom are revealed to you. There's a mystery. The Old Testament prophets understood and thought that a day would come when a cataclysmic event would bring the end of the world in a moment. Judgment of God would come. Those who were opposed to God, those who were sinners, would be judged severely. They would be put away in some kind of eternal punishment. God's Messiah would reign and rule. Everything would change. All the kingdoms that have been evil would be obliterated in a moment. Daniel had visions of a rock cut without hands out of a mountain coming and pulverizing all the kingdoms. They thought, oh, this is what's going to happen. Jesus comes and says, the kingdom of God is now here. They think, okay, the end is here. It started. This is awesome. Everything is going to go into this plan of cataclysmic end of the world. And then Jesus began to teach a mystery that is super confusing. And after I finish today, if you are not super confused, I have not done my job well. But also, everything will start to make sense more, I think. So, Jesus showed them that although the end of the ages was now here, it wasn't here completely. That the end of the world had broken into the present, but it's also still far away. Both are true. They thought, the prophets, that this, this present age would be like a timeline. Where's left? left? This is your left, left to right. Time would go and stop. But what Jesus did is he interrupted the timeline with his coming, with his crucifixion, with his resurrection, and brought the presence of the future into the now, but not completely. All the promises are filled, but not completely. And we live in attention. The mystery of the kingdom, in short, the way some theologians have put it, is that it is already, but not yet that we live in the presence of the future. Powers of the, pre- of the future age are breaking in upon us in successive, successive waves and, and uh, inbreakings of God's kingdom that change everything. So, we're tasting of the powers of the coming age. For example, when we encounter God just now, some of you in worship, we're tasting of the powers of the coming age when at times I've laid hands on someone in the name of Jesus, prayed Jesus' prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come, and whammo, the power comes, and a healing happens like that. And I've also had times where I've prayed the same prayer with maybe even more faith, and nothing happened. And that's confusing and frustrating. We're going to talk about that confusion and frustration. It's a mystery. How you doing? Okay, so what we're going to do is read some of the words of Jesus that describe this, and then we're going to talk about the implications for us, because the case is, if you have given your life to Jesus, Jesus describes putting faith in his whole person, his whole message, his whole, just putting, trusting that he loves us, that he's powerful, that he's capable, and that he's done everything to deal with the sin problem the deal with judgment that's coming, the deal with our future, if we put our faith in him, we would experience something called being born a second time, being born of the Spirit, and we enter into this kingdom life. So if the kingdom is both now but not yet, you and I who have come into the kingdom are also 
and already not yet mysterious people. And this will maybe help you if you're sometimes frustrated in the life you live. Actually, Kent was referring to it when he was leading worship and opened the scripture to us and described his own story. So, Lord, as we open this up, would you please speak to us truth that will help us understand the mysteries of the kingdom and how you want us to live in this time, fully worshiping you, dealing with the life that you've brought us into and all its sometimes confusion for us and all its power and blessing. Speak to us, we pray. Transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Jesus said very definitively, the kingdom is now here. I'm going to read some of the scriptures that describe that. After John was put in prison, Mark 1, first chapter describes this. After John, was, John the baptizer was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news or the gospel of God. The time has come. So it's now, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Believe the good news. Repent. And when that, the language that says the kingdom of God is near, that language has this feel. Like when a woman is pregnant, full term, the water has broken and the baby's coming and you're in the delivery room. That kind of near. Like it's now. It's starting. One time Jesus, and I've mentioned this in this series, but I'll say it again, powerful illustration of this truth that the kingdom is near, here with Jesus coming. Jesus cast out an evil spirit. The Pharisees said, well, he probably cast them out because he's in league with Satan. And he goes on to describe uh, the situation of a kingdom divided itself, can't stand, and says this sentence. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come. Past tense, has come, it's complete, upon you. And there would be more verses and stories where this kind of talk is coming out of Jesus' mouth. When he was talking about John the Baptist, he said, you know, until the time of John, there was all this goodness, but since the time of John, everything's changed. John was the Elijah that was to come before the end. So the time has now come, and now the kingdom of God is advancing violently. It's happened, it's here, is, is what he said there. Um, when he began his ministry, quoting from Isaiah 61, and said, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to open blind eyes, and all the words that he spoke from Psalm, Isaiah 61, he said, this day... This prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. The kingdom of God is here. But equally, Jesus just as forcefully and definitively said something that sounds like the opposite. He said, the kingdom of God is distant. It's yet to come a long time from now. Matthew 24, in these passages where Jesus is talking about how the end of the world will wrap up, it says this, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. They said, Tell us, they said, when is all this going to happen? Because he's been saying it's now. So they're like, is it tomorrow? Or this afternoon? What will be the sign of your coming, the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. There, many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars. You'll hear of rumors of wars, but see that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. The end is still to come. It's delayed. Nations will rise against nations, kingdom against kingdoms, there'll be famines, there'll be earthquakes, 
All these are the beginning of birth pangs. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted, put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away. This is a long time story that we're hearing right here. Many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. There will be many false prophets appearing to deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will go cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Well, I thought you said the end was already here when you started preaching the first day. What's going on? What do you mean the end is here, but it's not yet here? The far, wars and rumors of war, that takes a long time to get wars going. And the rumors of wars going. Nations rising. Kingdom preached to the whole... So he said it's now. He said it's way far away. He also said it's any moment now. Like he's so confused. Poor Jesus, right? Actually, he's not. Poor us. We need to understand that when he says something, it's true. Mark chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, some are standing here who will not taste death before the kingdom of God comes with power. He told them they wouldn't be finish preaching before it was all over and the kingdom of God comes. So the, he said, the kingdom is just right here. Another time he said, or several times, so it's now, it's far away, it's almost here. Then he said, it's delayed. <laughs> Are you confused yet? Okay, good, that's what we're supposed to be. Luke 19, it says, verse 11, while they were listening to him speak, he went on to tell them a parable. If you don't know Bible language, parable is a story, an illustration that draws from present circumstances. It's not a true story, but it could have happened to your brother-in-law. I mean, it's just, it's that real. And he uses it to describe a truth. So he told them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So he tells them a parable to say, no, it's delayed. A noble man of birth went to a distant country. He's speaking of himself. To have himself appointed king and then to return. So then he called ten of his servants and he gave them ten minas or ten portions of gold or coin. And, and I won't go on to tell the story, many of you know it, but it talks about a delay of the return of the king. He had a kingdom, he went away to be appointed king, he would come back reigning as king. And in between there was delay. You know, some of you, the parable of the ten virgins, the five wise, the five foolish. And they're waiting for the bridegroom to come. And the language is very specific. He said, but the bridegroom was delayed. So he's here. He's far away. The kingdom's far away. The kingdom's almost here. The kingdom's delayed. Well, which is it, Jesus? It's all of the above. I'll, I'll show you um, that graph that I, that I made for you. Is that, is that up there? Do you have that, that little graphic? Yeah, this one. So here's, here's a picture graphically to try to explain what is true in the Bible. By the way, what this says reflects what Jesus said in all those places, put together, because it's all true. And it also reflects what you will see the, is the understanding of the writers of the Bible all the way through. When you get this, you won't have to try to divide up everything you read and go, well, this is part of some other scheme, and this maybe a dispensation, and this is what happened here, and there's 10 different things. And, and people make all sorts of crazy charts trying to, to split up the Word of God into all these segments. You don't have to, because it's not even true. This is the truth. In Jesus, that's representing the cross, 
in his message and his ministry and his crucifixion and his resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit, the powers of the coming age have broken into us now. That's why he could say, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And you see that arrow kind of showing things breaking in. But this present evil age did not end, and that was the mystery. And we don't have time, but we've read scriptures that talk about this present evil age being going on and us being rescued out of it, but yet staying in it, but not being in it. Confusion again. The present evil age is going on. The powers of the age to come have broken in, and we live in this age of overlap where there is tension, where things are already, but not yet. And you are an already not yet person, and you can't get out of that. You can dream up some scheme to get you out of it, but eventually your mind will blow because it won't work. The message and ministry of Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, the outpouring of the Spirit on the church have brought about the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. All the promises are there. Sins are forgiven. Sickness is healed. Dead people are being raised. So there's all that stuff. But it's not in its consummated form. It's not fully there. There will be conflict and tension with this present evil age until the end comes. So if this is true, I want to read some scripture and talk about you and me being already not yet people. We're weird. We're mysterious. We're like time travelers. We're in this age and the age to come. And we're like confused by it unless we know, oh, that's what's going on. Are you doing okay? It's weird stuff, huh? It's actually, as I understand it, and as for the last, let's see, where would it be? Around 50 years, 50 to 70 years, this has become the understanding of the, the scholars, the people that study the word, the Greek scholars, the Old Testament scholars, this is the understanding now that you'll find almost in any commentary. This is the truth. We live in the already and the not yet. So here's a really good thing for you and me. In John 12, as Jesus is getting ready to give his life at the cross, he says this, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world, Satan, will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. For those of us who are in God's kingdom by way of Jesus and his grace poured out through faith, we've already gone to the end of the world and experienced judgment day. Jesus brought the judgment that is to come unto himself. So that the full wrath of God that will someday be poured out on a sinful planet has already been poured out on Jesus and anyone who has looked to him has already experienced the judgment and seen that it came down on Jesus in their place and they don't have any fear. So the fact that you have been to the future, experienced the judgment, come back here and you're living here now, both in the already and not yet, means you have no fear of coming judgment. People who have not already experienced the coming judgment of God in the death of Jesus for themselves live in terror. It's a terrifying thought to think of the end of the world and what will come for those who have not had the life of Jesus enter into them. Judgment is coming, and it's terrifying. It's scary. Have you read the book of Revelation? Have you read about the tribulations? Have you read all those 
plagues. It's scary stuff. But for you and me who are in Jesus, we've already been to the future. We can tell people, yeah, I've been there. I've got the t-shirt. I've been back. And I'm all right because I've already gone through the judgment because I'm in Jesus and he took it for me. Isn't that cool? I love that. We are already a new creation. You know this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are gone. Everything's passed away. Romans 6, Paul says it this way. If you don't know, all of us that were baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death, so we experience death. We are buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the death of the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Wow. So in Jesus, we've died and resurrected. We've already tasted of the resurrection. That's good news. But we're in the already and the not yet, because the not says, yet says this, Colossians 3, 1, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earth and things, for you died, your life is now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you'll also appear with him in glory, put to death, therefore. I thought I already died. Well, how can I put me to death if I'm already dead? This is the tension of living in the present evil age and the age to come at the same time. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed. Have you ever thought you were a new man in Christ and you discovered you also had greed and lust? You're like, what the heck is going on with me? I must need to go see a therapist. No, you're living in the tension of the kingdom, the mystery. I sir can, Brandy. I have a request to speak more slowly when I'm reading the text. I'll do that for you. You're welcome. Do I have to read it again? Just, I love this family. Put to death all these things in your life. Well, I thought they were killed. Well, they are, but they're not yet killed. Because you live in the already and the not yet. This mystery causes a lot of confusion for some people who start to think, well, maybe I'm not really saved. Maybe I committed the unpardonable sin. What should I do? Let's get into some behavior modification. Maybe I can control this thing. Some people create elaborate psychological diagrams of the body and the soul and the spirit. And if the spirit would just beat up on the soul and the body, then I wouldn't have this problem anymore. Have you, have you been to that seminar? You know, just try to kill that thing and then you... It never works because you and I are an already not yet mysterious people. We live in the tension that the kingdom of God and all of its promises have broken in on me. And there's also the tension of this present evil age going on. And the story is one of, am I living in continuation with this present evil age, or am I living in the life that is to come? And I have some role to play in that. In fact, sometimes I need to put to death whatever is left in my mortal body. Evil desires, lust, greed, all those things we were just reading. To make it even more confusing, the Bible says that you were saved, that you are being saved, and that you will be saved. That's an already not yet 
truth. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, him from the dead, you'll be saved. Past tense, done. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified. It's your mouth you confess and are saved. But in Philippians, Paul, who wrote Romans 10, says it's an ongoing process. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You were saved, but you are being saved. Well, how can that be? It's the tension of the already and the not yet. You are caught there. I am caught there. 1 Peter 1. All kinds of trials have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, you're filled with inexpressible glorious joy. You are receiving, you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You were saved when you believed in Jesus, but you're being saved as you work out your salvation. And you will be saved in the future. Romans 13 and 11, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Hebrews 9, 28, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. He will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation for those who are waiting. There's other language in Paul's and other apostolic writings that talk about the triumph we have and at the same time talk about the groaning we're experiencing. The groaning verses and the triumphant verses. Because we're not there, but we're there. How about this one? The already, 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us and spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. We are always triumphant. Have you met people that you think nothing goes wrong in their life? These are the Christians where everything is good. Everything they pray happens. They have all their needs met. Their family seems perfect. Um, every time they pray, the prayer comes with an answer. They are living in victory. They're victorious. Have you met those people? Well, you... I know those people, but it doesn't actually work out that way, (laughs) because Romans 8, 23, the same guy that wrote the 2 Corinthians passage says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirits groan inwardly, oh, when will you finish this, Lord? As we await for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our body, we were saved in hope. Oh, when will you come, Lord? When will you complete this work? You ever groan saying, come on, Lord, fulfill your promises. I've been crying out. In the writings of John, you get the sense that if you sin, you're not even saved. 1 John 3, 4, 6. six. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives on him keeps on sinning. And you read that and you go, oh, no. No one who continues to sin has either seen or known him. But turn your page back. The same guy that wrote that wrote, if we claim to be without sin, 
We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. My sins are forgiven. My sins, if I keep sinning, I'm not even saved. If I sin, I should go and get free. <laughs> They're both going on at the same time. The only way to really understand that without having your mind go crazy is to believe this truth. It's a mystery that Jesus said was a mystery. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is delayed. The kingdom is almost here. The kingdom's far away. All at the same time. Now, we live in a time and an age where in the scientific world, we recognize that this is actually how the world runs. It's called quantum physics. We, we live in a time when, since, since Einstein, Stein, Einsteinian, how do you say that? Einstein, law of relativity, theoretically, and you've seen this in movies, you could go in a spaceship far away and come back 20 years ago. Right? Time travel. We understand that from physics. So it shouldn't be surprising to us that Jesus said, yes, this is the nature of the kingdom. How about this? The already, Luke 9, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure all diseases. That is an end of the world event of the people of God. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And those always go together, preach that the kingdom has come and then heal the sick. But then a little later, this is the same chapter of Luke. A man in the, crawled, in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. A spirit seizes him, and suddenly he screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him. It's destroying him. I have begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Early at the beginning of that chapter, Jesus gave them authority over all demons. Here, they're in a war, and they're not winning. Jesus comes in and wins the day for them. There is a tension. Can I just say this? The reason people get healed when I pray for them is because the kingdom of God has come. And the reason people don't get healed when I pray for them is because the kingdom of God has not yet come. It's that simple. We're living in a time where the consummation of God's kingdom is not yet come complete, when all are healed, when all are saved, when all sin is dealt with, when all poverty is gone, when all relationships are when all of that, that has not yet come, but it has come in form and taste and reality, and we're experiencing it. And in successive waves of inbreakings of the kingdom of God, and especially in revival times, the inbreaking of the coming age is here, and it happens. Now, People sometimes say, well, let's make a formula. Surely if sometimes I pray and they get healed and sometimes they pray and they don't get healed, it must be because I don't have enough faith. So if I could just work up a kind of faith in that teaching that is the removal of any psychological doubts, if I could just talk myself into it and say the words enough and decree it and declare it enough and say it over and over and say I already have it, maybe I'll convince myself, then I'll really have faith, then it will happen. And I'm here to tell you that those people don't have any better results than we do. They really don't. They say, they just don't. That, that's the, that kind of faith movement. The reality is, it happens when the kingdom of God breaks in. And it doesn't happen when the kingdom of God is not breaking in. So, don't try to come up with a formula. Well, surely it must be someone's sin. Those 
formulas, coming up with the right prayer, trying to say things over and over until you have no doubt. All those things will make you legalistic and make you kind of a lunatic. Because you'll, you'll get into the thing where you fake it till you make it, and you're dying with a headache, and your friend says, how are you? And you go, I'm healed, and I'm great. And you're dying of a headache. Just say, I'm dying of a headache. Would you pray for me that the kingdom of God would break in, and maybe I'll get healed? Don't fake it and lie. Be real. Tell the truth. We live in a time of mystery and tension. But we're not just the victims of like some kind of pure chance. This is some kind of weird thing we'll never understand. And because we have something we can do. We have a role to play. Let me just say this. There's the, the body of Christ over the ages has fallen into the trap of the triumphalists that say everything that is to come has already come, and if it doesn't come, hasn't come, I'm going to fake like it has come, and I'm going to say it came, and then I'm going to never you know, say I have a cold because that would be a negative confession, and maybe that would bring into reality. And they go into this kind of crazy triumphalism, and they don't deal with pain and suffering and reality. There's pain and suffering and reality all around us. This present evil age is rolling right along while the kingdom of God is broken in. Over here are the defeatists that say, well, I guess none of that's going to come ever until Jesus returns. So what we need to do as Christians is huddle together in our churches and try to stay safe from that mean, wicked world until Jesus raptures us out of here right before we die. Not that one, not this one. But living in the tension of the already and the not yet, Jesus has told us to say a prayer to have expectation from the promises of God about all that happens when his kingdom breaks in, to have expectation that even comes from the stories that we've all heard from revival times, you know, and the people that have prayed, great things that have happened, great things we've seen in our life, from expectation come with a prayer. Pray this way. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And he responds to that prayer. And when people pray that prayer and seek God under the sovereignty of God, not something we're controlling because we said the right prayer, but we're cooperating with God's will in a mysterious way, the kingdom does break in, and you can feel it and experience it. When God's kingdom and rule and reign comes to a life or a circumstance or even a family or a city, you see the difference. You feel the tangible presence because God's presence is there. It's like there's a veil between the now and the future. And a hand is reached into the now, and it's the hand of God. And we can experience that by praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. So when I pray that prayer, I am meaning everything, God, that I've read in your Bible, everything I read that Isaiah prophesied, Everything that I saw when David and Solomon were kings and there was such abundance and provision and peace all around. Everything I saw when I saw the Exodus event and God said, I have seen the sufferings of my people and I care, so I'm coming to do something about it. Lord, all the promises that everything will be made new, that there'll be no more sickness or sorrow or death, let that come now. That's in my mind when I say, let your kingdom come. If you ask me to pray for you for, a, for any condition, you're probably going to have me say, Can I, could I put my hand on you to bless you? And you, you might say yes. 
I'll lay my hand on you because Jesus said lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And I will pray this prayer. Lord, will you let your kingdom come right now and I'll wait. And sometime, often, something changes and the presence of God breaks through the veil and the kingdom of God is resting on that person. Now, we're cooking with grease, as they say in the South. Now, I can do the next thing that Jesus said to do. Expectation, kingdom prayer, and the kingdom announcement. I can say, the kingdom of God is here. Now. And there's an authority. Here's what happens. In Matthew 10, Jesus sends the disciples out. And he says, go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cure with lepro- those with leprosy. Cast out demons. Freely you've received. Freely you've given. You need to understand that there's a, a phrase there that had extra meaning for his culture, this announcement thing. That was, as, as Matthew's writing, he's writing in the Greek language in a Roman-occupied territory where the, the common language that people wrote in was Greek. And he used the word announce that was common in their culture. Under Rome, when the emperor would have a decree to make, a new law, a new something had happened, he would send out people to make announcements. Um, the word that's in Greek is um, a kerygma. K-E-R-Y-G-M-A is the um, spelling in English, kerix. He's this, a guy that's commissioned to announce the king's edict. Now, the king has sent me to pronounce to you the kingdom of God is here. That's what he's saying. And when they spoke the word, the edict that they were speaking from the Roman king became effective immediately. There was power from the authority of the king that when they spoke the edict that he sent them to speak, it became now a reality. Jesus is telling these disciples, as you go, announce the kingdom of God is here. When Jesus spoke things like this, it's as if his powerful speaking from what God had already said would happen and that was happening became reality, and stuff happened. He spoke and demonstrated the works of the kingdom. Now listen, I'm not going into that thinking that says, well, there's inherent power in your words. I'm not saying that at all. You are not God. God speaks of things that are not as though they are. You are not God. You don't speak of things that are not as though they are. Unless he speaks it and tells you to speak it, and then the whole world changes. So we come with expectation. We pray, let your kingdom come into this circumstance. And when you see that it does, and you tell the person, the kingdom of God is upon you, something changes. And at those moments, the powers of the coming age break in, and you are doing the work of Jesus himself, speaking his words, bringing healing, driving out demons, bringing salvation with the message of the cross, where the judgment of God has already come on his sent one, the Messiah. You're speaking resurrection life. Jesus is raised from the dead, and we in him are already experienced a taste at least of the life that is to come. Sometimes we're even seeing the dead raised, actually. And you know if you've been around here that we have a handful of stories where we've seen that happen. But not always. 
you, li- you live in a mysterious tension. This is truth and reality as I understand it. You will not understand your life if you think you're supposed to be all the way in the old age or all the way in the new age. You will understand your life if you realize God has broken into your life and you are an already, not yet, person. And the power of God is present and you can pray for more of the already and less of the not yet and experience it as you put to death the old man and as you live in the life of the kingdom and as your mind is renewed and as you are doing the works of Jesus Amen. That's enough to say, I think. Jesus, John 20. After he was raised from the dead and met with the disciples, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. With that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And it happened in greater power about somewhere around 40 days later by this point, 50 days. That was the first night, 50 days later. The day of Pentecost. And God poured out his Spirit. And the kingdom of God began breaking in through the hands of his disciples over and over until the world was turned upside down. Folks, this is a mystery, but we need to press into it and grab a hold of the rule and reign of God that's available now. We need to pray the prayer with faith and expectation. Lord, let your kingdom come into our world, into our time to bring peace, to bring good news to poor people, to break the chains of oppression on people in our lives to forgive sins and to heal disease, to bring comfort where there's hopelessness and hope where there's hopelessness. Let your kingdom come upon us that we would be the people of your kingdom, filled with the promised spirit, the spirit of the end times now in our lives, empowering us to become more and more like Jesus in our character, empowering us to become more and more like Jesus in our actions. Lord, let your kingdom come upon us this day. Lord, let your spirit fill us to overflowing this day. We stand before you as your people. Could the worship band come on up? People, I'm just kind of praying and maybe modeling for you that we all pray this kind of prayer together. Listen, if you are someone in this room and you're not yet in God's kingdom. You're not yet filled with his spirit. You're not yet a follower of Jesus. Take care of that today. So the judgment that's coming will be dealt with in your past because you'll be in Jesus. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll be cleansed and you become a new person and begin to live out this life. If you've never given your life to Jesus, just turn to him and say, Jesus, I trust you with it all. I trust you with my life. Give me your life. Forgive my sins. Raise me in a new life. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, 
gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.